Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Deepa and I'm a member of the Church Council at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wangal land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church Luck on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find more information about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. This is the second episode in our summer series, Tapestry of Faith, a series of interviews exploring the life and faith journey of members of our church community. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Radhika Sukumar White is interviewing Caitlin Scott. Caitlin works as a pastor with Uniting and is also drawing upon Luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 56 in this conversation. I will be providing the reading ahead of the chat with Caitlin. So this is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56 from the New Revised Standard Version. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following conversation with Caitlin Scott. All right, we begin with origin. Let's, t- let's talk about your origin story. Where have you come from? Where, where uh, did life begin for you? Um, I was born in... Fall River, Massachusetts. Um, it's a small city across from Somerset where I lived and about an hour south of Boston. So very much a New England girl, but New England in the east coast of the United States. And I was baptized the same day as my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a baby and he was in his 30s and he had decided that he wanted us to be part of the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my home yeah, my, my origin church growing up. So the Anglican Church post the Revolutionary War was the Episcopal Church mm-hmm. of America. 
Um, it's a very uh, progressive church, very socially progressive, and um, but at the same time, I really loved all the bells and whistles and the old hymns and the incense and the stained glass. The church that I went to was maybe 200 years old, mm. and I, I really feel like my faith was formed in part with my my close relationship with my father. We mm. were always we were baptized at the same time. Um, he was always a senior warden or a member of the choir, and I think I was actually the youngest choir member, um, aside from my father. All the rest of the ladies were in their 70s or 80s, mm. and I wasn't interested in going to Sunday school. I wanted to sing in the senior choir. I wanted to be an acolyte. I just wanted to be in the church, and I think I really felt from an early age a sort of mystical relationship with God mm. uh, very much. What I felt like was mystical experience, I think it was, and um, I and I think that was a great grounding point for faith to begin because it very much was the transcendent feeling of God. Because even when I was really young, um, I found this little notebook and I just remember having this feeling that I needed to express and I had just written, I love God, I love God, I love God, kind mm. of like a bunch of times. Um, Did you have an image of what God was, what God looked like when you were a kid? I think I, think I very much, you know, that first prototype we have I think it definitely was a father mm -hmm. figure now that I'm older I, I, I've um, I often pray to mother mm. uh, a mother God um, but I think it very much was I felt the love of God very much through the love my father had for me and the love of faith and mm. I think even in that that early experience of church and the richness of it um, and even when I was about eight or ten I was talking to my dad, and I said, these are all the things I love to do. What could I do with my life? And he's mm. like, well, you know, you could be a priest. And I was just, like, struck by lightning. And I was like, mm. it was like a voice said to me, like, that's what, that's what it is. Mm. That's who you are. Um, so it was really early on that I wanted, and that kind of remained the goal until um, I went to divinity school. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, very much a childhood formed with this, trying to articulate this love that I felt um, mm. you know, what was God, who was God, what was the relationship moving in the world, and I felt the need to articulate that in some way, mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. It sounds to me like your childhood experience of church and faith was really nourished by people in different generations to you, so your father mm. and the elderly people in the choir. Um, what did you learn about discipleship from your father and from the people in the choir and from people who lived you know, a while before you? I, I saw in them a, like a warmth and a, a dedication to the community. Mm. Um, and heard about the experience of the lives, what they had lived through, and, and had a sense that faith was something that weathered many, many phases of your life. Mm. Um, and humor. I think from my dad, I saw that I saw in his discipleship, because when I was in first grade, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, Kay. which at that time, no one his age had survived. Um, he was one of the first people to go through an experimental treatment, um, but he's had cancer for many, many years since then, really. Um, but they had given him a five-year diagnosis, so I think his faith was very much formed by that, sure. that experience. Um, and being a young person thinking that I might lose my father. So I think my faith was probably formed by that. Um, and I think 
discipleship he showed was real um, earnestness mm. and sincerity and storytelling. Mm -hmm. He's a very good storyteller. Um, and the idea that like he was a beginner in some ways mm -hmm. coming to the Episcopal Church and being so earnest and, and um, open and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. He was always very vulnerable because it was all raw. It was out, all out there. It was potentially um, the end of a life that was a man in his 30s with young kids. So mm -hmm. it was very at the surface and I so respected that about him. And, and I thought like that's faith is us sharing our stories that way. Mm. Like that is, um, that vulnerability is key yeah. to bringing people into the experience of God that we have in community. What was it, a, seeing that as a child, you know, being confronted by your father's mortality, what did that tell you about the, the nature of God and life and, you know, those kind of questions? Hmm. I think very early on, and this has carried, this has helped me a lot in my ministry in hospitals and um, especially early in my CP in the States, being, being what is quite, CP, sorry? Um, clinical pastoral education was part of my um, theology degree, and it was in a very busy urban American hospital, so lots of gun-related <laughs> incidents of and course. things like that, but mm -hmm. I think caring and even working with children who, who become ill and pass away, like I think what I have felt from my dad was that, you know, death is not a punishment for being alive. And mm. um, death is a part of um, this loving experience. This, this, it's part of the relationship with life and with God. Mm. Um, and... I think even I had a sense, you know, what he was building is if he were to um, to leave us, that there was going to be, a, you know, and tapestry is a great word, there was going to be this, you know, basic fabric, the feeling of him, the feeling of what it meant to be bound to him in God, mm. that we would have, like, this sort of fabric with that would sustain us. So, yeah, I hope that answers yeah. the question. It's a big one. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously, it sounds like church was always part of your life mm. and, and thinking about Christ and thinking about, you know, the, the mystical nature of God has always been part of your life. Do you, re do you recall a moment of commitment or a moment of clarity of going, yeah, this is, this is, this is it for me, like this, this church, this Christianity, this discipleship is for me? I think I was about maybe... 12 or 13, mm -hmm. and I was in uh, an English class. I went to an all-girls school that was quite small. Maybe there were 30 girls in our whole graduating class. Mm -hmm. so. um, and we just had a really great English teacher. And for me, I've always found, and I've probably talked about it later when we talk about the lesson, but mm. um, a lot of my spirituality worked through and expressed in poetry. And I don't even remember what we were reading, but it was actually the way the light came in the window, mm. and um, it's hard to put into words, but I was just like, um, God is here. Like, he's, it was just sort of an, mm. yeah, that's why I use the word mystical, because it was a physical yeah. experience, and yeah, just that sense of, I was about that age when I felt like this is, that's, I didn't have the word vocation, um, but I think we all have a vocation, 
that might may or may have nothing to do with what we do for work. Mm. Um, and I think, in, in a sense, a Christian vocation is to be the vessel and bearer of light to the world of God's love. Love that. Um, mm. And that's the kind of vocation that you can bring anywhere and do in many different roles. 100%. So, yeah, I think I had that sense that I have to focus on that, even though I've despaired many times about what am I doing? You know? mm, mm. Um, I think, like, there's sort of, we all have a call that doesn't have like much fundamental. To, yeah. Yeah. That can, we can sort of do anything or nothing, and it's it's still part of us. Mm-hmm. So you had that conversation with your dad to say, "Hey, this is what I'm good at," and your dad said, "Well, maybe you could be a priest." So then, what happened next? Finished high school and I went to college. Uh, it's very typical in America to go to like four years of get a bachelor's degree if you do. You know, some people know what they want to do, but you still have to like if you were a doctor, you'd go to four years of of like undergrad. Yeah. Um, so I went and studied um, religious studies and history, and after that four years, like I was still very much walking with the Episcopal Church mm. from Massachusetts, mm. um, and I wasn't quite obedient because you have to have permission to enter the ordination process, and then they tell you where you, they say, yes, you can go to that mm. theological school. I just... Um, <laughs> applied to theological school. coming out now. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and good, and, and started my Master's of Divinity at Yale University in Connecticut, mm-hmm. which is a really marvelous place um, because it's multi-denominational yeah. th- theological. They have an Anglican, they have a seminary there that's connected to the Episcopal Church, so lots of people can do a, that process at the same time. Sure. But there, was, there were folks in my class who were um, Jewish mm. and Catholic, and one was a, a humanist, mm. so she she didn't believe in God, but she was there at um, theological school, so it was a really, really, and and some people had kind of like bucked their tradition as well. They mm-hmm. were Baptist, and in the Baptist church in America, you don't need a theological education to be a minister. You're just sort of like, you have to be recognized one yeah. by the community, so yeah. there were some people getting educations that were going to be very suspicious for their congregation. Interesting. So it was very yeah. <laughs> too much of that. Um, so the... Do you think your faith was, um, uh, you know, massaged by being in class with people of really different kind of faith expressions to you? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh, who I love, who says, you know, like, um, and the other way around, um, Buddhist, you know, like Buddhists can learn a lot from Christians practicing as Christians and vice versa. Sure. Um, but I think I think it was a very challenging time, um, but also a really rich time to to practice really refining your own voice. Mm-hmm. You know, not just repeating, because um, the faith I had as a child had definitely fallen away, um, and it goes through that. Um, there's like sort of the first half of life and the second yeah. half of life that's talked about by many thinkers and theologians. And it's that sort of going towards that process of having to say, well, what do I believe and how do I, um, and what do I not like about some of the tradition I've come from? And mm. what are these, you know, like charismatic preaching and what are we getting from these beautiful preachers? What are we getting from people who stand up and speak in church rather than stay quiet all the time? Mm-hmm. And, um, we had a really great chapel service because it had that diversity so I really loved that Mm. are we talking then about a a period of deconstruction of faith or was it like 
yeah, what, what's the language that, we'd use, that you would use to talk about the falling away of the first, your childhood faith? I yeah, think the definitely deconstructing. Um, I, I, I think it was, I think it was one of my Baptist friends, and there were even folks from even until like, um, her mentor said, oh, divinity school is where you go to lose faith. Oh, wow. Uh, so like, so that was, there, there was that idea that you can, you can deconstruct too much and be too intellectual about it. Sure. But I really find, I really found um, the intellectual parts of actual theology enriched my feeling of, um, like, deepened my faith. Okay. Um, so it was deepened, but it also, um, I didn't feel challenged so much because I think I've always been really open uh, to the different expressions. Like, yeah. I have someone, even when I was really young, I would learn about Hinduism and I would want to be a Hindu. Like, I was still, yeah, okay. or I would, then I'd learn about Judaism and I'd go to temple with my friends and I loved it. And yeah. I was like, I want to be Jewish. And then I'd learn about Islam. Like, I, I was always very much like that, the, just how beautiful these different expressions were. And I didn't see that in conflict with God in mm. general. It's like all these different reflections. Um, to in, encounter and and, to, and and especially growing up with a lot of Jewish folks, the the depth of Jewish theology and thinking throughout the the centuries mm. is just yeah amazing. Amazing. So. so then, what is it about Christianity or the person of Jesus that so compels you? Mm. Oh gosh, lots. It's, a, it's, um, it's the lived relationship. You know, it's like, um, this is, it's knowing my context mm. and um, Jesus is the, the one I met. Like we, we met and, and that's, the, that's the relationships that's continued and that, you know, I've stuck with, and he's, and and the person of Jesus has stuck with, and um, mm. I think there's so many. I could talk about the different points of faith, like the, like the idea of, you know, Jesus as the Son of God, and and all of the things that go into it and connect us. That I feel like really speaks to our humanity. Mm -hmm. I could say that, but I think, in real, in, in part of the reality, in, in a personal way, is like this is the way it's been since I was born. Sure. Um, and we've fallen in love, and we're, we're going to stay together for a long, long time. Mm. So it's like, that's <laughs> Jesus is who I met is a fantastic response, I think. That's, that's really powerful. So how did you, what brought you to Australia? Um, I, after grad school, I, I went to be a hospital chaplain in New York City. Um, and as soon as I got to the hospital in New York, I was like, I'm going to have a mental breakdown. Because... Um, chaplaincy in a hospital um yeah in, especially in the states it, it's very um it's very structured it it's it's held on par with any of the other medical disciplines and it, it's very um um you know you've got a beeper on yeah. and you're on call if you're there all the time and there's always an emergency and it's often a very violent emergency sure. um and new york 
wow, it's a vibe. It's it's a big, <laughs> it's, a big it's a big vibe. There were yeah. and and I I did stay there for a while because my best friend was there. But I actually left the hospital and I worked in hospitality. Um, I worked in restaurants as a line cook. I worked in wine stores and because my other passion is food and hospitality. So I just sort of worked for ten dollars an hour in the back of a kitchen and and kind of had a break from school you know, after going straight from college to grad school, it was a long time of not really being in the world. So, mm. um, and before I left New York, I worked at a fabulous church called the Riverside Church. Yeah. And that's up in Harlem. Yeah. Um, and um, the pastor, Amy Butler, at the time is a marvelous, yeah. amazing woman. Um, and so I was her personal assistant and that was really fun um, and really challenging in a different way, but being a part of that church community was kind of like stepping back in before I came here. Sure. Um, and I had met an Australian who was living in New York and went back to visit Australia, and I was like, why don't you live here? Mm. Like, why don't you live here? Um, and, and, and lots of Australians I met, like, I can't believe you left New York. I was like, you're welcome to take my place, because it's, really, <laughs> it's a really tough place to live. And even though it's really exciting. So yeah, I, I came over here pretty much to follow my heart, and even though it didn't work out, um, in that story, another mm. story began, and and Maisie's a part of that story too yeah. now. So, and as soon as I got here, I felt like home. I wasn't leaving no matter what. So oh, it's wow. hard. Yeah. Yeah, I just felt, I just felt that this um, was, you know, in some ways sent. Like this mm. is. Um, sort of an exile, but also not like a going into another land yeah. um, and making a home in it. Yeah. And um, that was part of the story as well. At that moment, or in retrospect, do you feel like there was a sense of God calling you to this place? Somewhat. I think it felt right in my soul. I, didn't, I don't think I, I felt like um, yeah, it felt right, but I didn't, I didn't think in a, in, I was on a mission or anything, yep. like yeah. I was still very much searching and, and it was a struggle to find, to make a home here and, and to build a community and not have any family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it felt, it felt like I was supposed to stay. It felt like the land was calling me. Wow. And I feel like that very much. I was lucky in the first half of my chaplaincy to work a lot with the Aboriginal um, services. Okay. Um, yeah, it felt it felt like um, very much something from the land and mm. the place. And uh, you went to Gama. You went to mm. what was that for you? That was probably one of my um, like a foundational experience of being here and feeling home. Mm. Um, Gama is a big festival in um, sort of run and led by the Gumach people um, in Arnhem Land. And very early in my chaplaincy, I was sent there for the, it's a sort of a week mm. long festival. Mm. And usually it's very hard to go as an individual because it's usually corporations and companies that the community wants to come to support this vision. So um, you just sort of are on the land and, um, in a tent all week and mm. then are taking part of the music, the dance, the culture, and also um, I think Malcolm Turnbull was there that year. So he was speaking about reconciliation sure. and a lot of stuff that didn't happen afterwards. But mm. <laughs> um, mm. there is this, it's, it's, it's a rallying point f 
culturally, and uh, they, they do have, um, you know, minds there and ways that they, they have their own personal wealth, but yeah. there are also still a lot of people living m very much original to the culture, yeah. but also there's great poverty and, and all these different issues that are, um, that they're highlighting there as mm. well. Um, I think Marsha Langton was there, there was a Q&A uh, to go to one night, but mostly this experience of being with actual people, especially the women, because mm. um, their um, wonderful musician had just passed away from that community. Um, I'm just having a brain blank. But it, they, the women were still mourning for him. So this all is, uh, Dr. G. Unipingu? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he had just passed away as well. Um, and one night, all the women, if you wanted to, were invited to get up at like two in the morning. And the women took us out into the forest um, in the pitch dark, and you can see so many stars mm. there. Um, it's just the most amazing place in the world, I think. And they can they they wept until the dawn came up. Mm. So it was about watching the, the doing the the morning as the morning comes up, and it's women's wow. business to do that morning for yeah. a long, long time. Um, and just seeing the shooting stars, which they shared that they believe that those are their loved ones who have passed on. Um, and while I was sitting there, I was like, how awful for this country to lose this mm -hmm. potentially. Mm. I wanna, you know, and even though I'm, I'm from a foreign, I'm, I'm a stranger here, I want to be involved in some way in, in not losing this, sure. not losing this perspective of the world mm. and of life and um, the sacredness and the holiness of that wisdom is just unspeakable and I think it'd be unspeakably sad for it to go out um, of our of our minds and yes. our knowledge so yeah that very much felt like a call like yeah. part of a, yeah. a call as well and you've been with Uniting for five years not going into the specifics of of the role you do but what do you love about chaplaincy I really love um speaking to people. I, I think when I was younger, we, we were sent to um, a therapist that I loved, and she had a really cute little house, and she was older, and she just sat on her couch, and people came to talk to her, and I was like, I want that job. Mm. I just want people to come to my house. I'll make them some tea, and we'll chat, and we'll fix all the problems. But I think, you know, chaplaincy is much grittier and dirty and sure. out there, and I, I like that too, that Chaplaincy allows you to go into really unconventional spaces and have chats to people who um, might not be expecting that chat or, or like who have a perception of the church and what a chaplain is and, and then meeting them in all these sort of diverse ways. Mm. Um, yeah, sort of like putting the boots on and, and going alongside to just do work with people. I don't mm. think it's even as much... Um, is like if you're able to actually be also physically helping with something mm. like in disaster recovery, if there's a flood and you're actually doing cleanup and then talking mm -hmm. alongside people, um, I really enjoy that aspect of it, of just, um, yeah, and, and I've, I think I've said this to you before, but I think my vocation is to make people feel more at home in the world. Yes. And I think chaplaincy allows me to do that in lots of different contexts. Yes. And, um, 
Yeah, so that's why I love I love that. And you're very good at it as well. Mm. I think you and I have known each other for a few years, but we probably had our first proper relational conversation maybe, oh well, a few years ago, but certainly last year. What drew you into this space, like at Uniting Church? How did that come to be? Well, definitely, I think my my meeting you and being involved through uniting with different things that were happening yeah. here and in this space, but also just stood out as a community that I felt very aligned with um, in its diversity and openness and vibrancy and color and noise and um, passion for social justice, mm. um, passion to draw people into draw people in yeah. um, and make its own way mm. um, and be a messy house mm -hmm. but also a very highly organized one because you're very <laughs> so <laughs> that's on me <laughs> yeah so right. I think I think yeah it felt I I, um, I did really struggle finding a congregation when I was here because I really I did um, while the Episcopal Church is really socially regressive, there's all, it's also very traditional in a way, and I think I missed that part of it. Sure. Um, and I was just trying to, and I was just getting to know the Uniting Church when I came came here as well. Sure. Because um, we don't have it back home, mm. and so I was a, a, a new person, and I was really looking for a home. And I think, yeah, it just felt when I came in and came to the services and saw the the shape of the ministry. Um, it felt like the right place to be, for sure. And I think uh, for you as well, looking for a home that Maisie could feel mm. comfortable in as well, yeah? Yeah, I really want her to come to church, even though she's quite wild. Um, <laughs> like, I think her growing into this space, and she already really loves, she knows it now. Yes. And um, to just be around the stories and just to, to like, soak it all in, you know, like, mm. it, it really is, like, Osmosis, when, and then that's what I was when I was little, is just soaking in everything. And, you know, even like being in church when I was little, I really felt like, you know, people were sometimes annoyed, you know, like the old lady was grumpy or mm. something. But like mm. that was kind of what church was about too, is, is, is coming into that space as we were. Um, and just that she's welcomed is, is just such a relief because it means that I can continue to, to come to church and be a part of the community in the life stage that I am right now. Of course. So, yeah. She is. She is so welcome. She is. Very and in the last year, we've seen you commissioned as a pastor with Uniting here in this space. And we were so blessed by your song at Lessons and Carols in December last year, which was both hilarious, you know, with Maisie and deeply moving. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it for you to sing the song of Mary, which will bring us to the reading, um, and, ha and have your child right there. Yeah, I, it was similar to the commissioning because she jumped in my arms at the commissioning while we were saying the blessing, mm. and it felt like a blessing for her. Um, but also in a very complex way, I can sort of look to the future and see how we're our children involved in blessing our work mm -hmm. that we do, and... Um, it sort of introduced this idea that's of something to come in my relationship with her is like how do we talk about our work in that it sometimes takes us away from our children or how our 
plus how can our children be involved in our work mm. um, and not see it as these segmented parts, but especially in, in ministry, mm. how it is consumes a lot of other parts of life in a really beautiful way. Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> the original question. Yeah. <laughs> went on a, um, sometimes I do that. That's okay. No, no, away to many <laughs> thoughts. Um, I think it was, I've, I've, when I was in college, I did briefly think about going to, um, I did perform a lot and do opera and jazz. So part of it was just like, the show must go on mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, there could be two people in the audience. My singing teacher used to say, um, she said, but you sing like you are the whole bill of the house. <laughs> so it was, some of it was that, but a, um, a lot of it was, I've, I've done lots of things with Maisie and she is, she's so high energy and wild, but also, <laughs> I don't know, there's something very, natural now about trying to hold her in all the different ways and, yeah. and continue on doing things yeah. and um yeah I think in in reflecting on on mothering it's it's like we we look at the nativity scenes and we hear about Jesus as an adult but I think I think you know there we have to if Jesus was a, a toddler we have to think about that he was annoying and he, he did try <laughs> he did try to throw himself off of balconies and and you know like just sort of you know, like Mary must have been also a real mother, yes. not just a, you know, a virgin or, or you know, the mother of a savior to come. Yes. Um, like there's all that gritty life in between. And so um, we can't sometimes read it in the Bible. We can't forget that it's there because mm. it really does enrich our, our understanding of, of how close God is to us. Mm. And you chose the Magnificat for today, for your Tapestry of Faith. Why? I loved, it used to be my job in church to sing the Magnificat. Um, Which she will actually do today at the end of this. In the way that I, I sang it growing up, growing up um, and there was an organist, but it, it, I think it's nice. It's very much a chant, so it can, I, I love that reading, um, and I love the Song of Mary. Um, now, in the reading, I love, first, I love the poetics of Mary entering the house and the baby jumping in the womb. Yeah. I love that image. Yep. And lots of, like, lots of um, lect um, commentaries are saying, oh, well, John is recognizing um, that Jesus is, like, this great thing. Like, he's recognizing Jesus' yeah. role in the world and saying, like, yay, you know, like, mm. bowing to you, flip, you know. But I also think um, another reading of it um, is that, and very much having experienced motherhood, is like that sense of life that you have. You can sort of, not all the time, but there's this intuition to, mm. to things of like sensing the life growing in someone. But I think it also reflects how we are to approach mm. everyone mm. and recognizing the like the leaping of life and power that God has bestowed on that person. Sure. And that sort of that mutual recognition of joy and of creation yep. that they shared in that moment. I think that's sort of a model for um, how we can approach each other and mm. also reflect to each other. Like, I see that life forming in you and jumping for joy, and it's going to become this great thing, whether it's a child or not. Yeah. Um, how, can I, how can I facilitate 
you to do that and mm. how to be yourself and, and fulfill that in your life. Which relates to your, your calling of enabling or helping people feel more at home in the mm. world. I think that, that really relates. So my last question, which is tradition for Tapestry of Faith, is if you had the opportunity to meet God face to face, what would you ask? What would you say? I thought about this one for a long time. Um, and I think my answer is just like, if I, right now, um, I don't feel like I have any questions for God. Mm -hmm. um, I just would want to be with her. Like, I think that's what I most need is that presence. Yeah. I think it can be really elusive, uh, the companionship and the presence of, and presencing God, who is already present, but actually bringing ourselves to that. Yes. Um, I just need to sit with God. Yeah. I just want to be with God. And that can be so hard that I don't think I'd have any questions when I actually got there. Um, and I think it's also because in this time I, I have lots of, lots of questions. But I've always loved the mystery. That's one of, I think that's one of my, it sounds funny to say my favorite things about God, but I love the mystery in our mm. lives. Mm. Uh, and I love the answer, unanswered questions um, and the stuff we don't know. Um, so yeah, I think I just would like to spend some time and, and save the questions for later down the road. Yeah, <laughs> great answer. How great is Caitlin? I'm going to throw it open. One or two questions. Lyle. Say it and then I'll say it into the mic. So Lyle's question is, how did you come to your purpose of that, that calling of enabling people to feel home? I, I think it took a while. Um, because I was trying to figure out, I felt this call to ministry, but I was trying to figure out what actually that meant and looked like what was my call. And I am still on that journey, but that felt like the, in terms of hospitality, my interest in cooking for people and um, creating spaces, I felt like that was the truest version of it. Cause I don't think I arrived, like my ministry wasn't about, like I'm really interested in getting people to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, that's not one of my driving forces, which maybe sounds controversial when you say it out loud, but um, I think sometimes if you're focusing on what your gifts are, you don't always have to worry about all the other points and gates. Um, and so like that sort of emerged as really just boiling down simplicity because everything's so complex and like, what can I actually do? I need to simplify the, 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 the purpose. Mm. What does it feel like is the truest simplification of, of what I can actually do? Because mm. there's so much that I can't. And it's like, okay, maybe I can just focus on making people feel at home, if that makes sense. I mm. don't know. Practices from other faith traditions that the church could learn from. Mm. I think there's definitely different prayer traditions that I'm still thinking about because I often, I, I found myself like busy in ministry and saying, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. Um, and then I'm never actually praying. Mm -hmm. Like, like that can be a prayer too, like we, you do. But did, is it like saying, I, well, I prayed with people a lot. Um, but was I 
praying myself, did I have an actual spiritual practice? And mm -hmm. I find that quite hard to sustain. Mm -hmm. um, and the different meditation practices, like in, um, like I said, I really love Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and he talks a lot about walking meditation, yes. and that felt like something I could do. Mm. Um, and then, I'm trying to think of another, another example of, of different, yeah, I think thinking about prayer in a more uh, immersive way and, and not just segmented off to a worship service on Sunday, I think that can be hard in Western sure. culture and tradition. Sure. Um, so how to like sort of make, I was, uh, when I was younger, I really was interested in um, being a monk and mm. the bishop who was my advisor at the time is like, well, you can't, he was a monk and he's like, well, you can't be a monk, you can be a nun. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a nun, I want to <laughs> be a monk. Um, something about that like sort of aesthetic like yeah. ascetic life uh, I thought was really interesting and in that I was reading a lot of the desert fathers mm -hmm. and just like people who are you know um and he's like you would be so bad in a monastery and I think <laughs> he was right but I was interested in how it all could like infuse our lives in a way um and sort of seep into everything so it wasn't even not even anymore about having a practice that you had to put a timer on but mm. that it was just sort of you know, are you praying when you're cooking? And mm, all of like, sort mm. of like, um, infusing all of yeah, life. Yeah, the, the prayer flags in the Himalayan, you know, it's yes. just all of those, those like little, using the abundance and beauty of actual material life as these sort of signs of the inward richness of, of our relationship with God and the universe. Mm. So that's a great question. I mm. could think about that all day. One more? What's what do you feel for your for your <laughs> for your future given all your gifting? Yeah. I would I would love to do love to do something like a podcast. That's a cool idea. That sounds really untenable but really cool. <laughs> like in a scary way. I do think there's something new on the like after you your child is sort of old enough that you can sort of breathe again and start being more creative. Um, one thing that I've been doing in chaplaincy that I would love to work on is um, I've always been interested in reading poetry theologically mm. and a lot of the services I've been using poetry and I'd love to do maybe a piece of work on using poetry in secular spaces to evoke spiritual themes mm. um, because I found like I found that um, for people adults with mental health issues um, or in, in different, the different services and communities, is that like sitting and picking apart a poem together, all of these life themes and spiritual themes are so accessible. And also just when you read a poem in a group of people, you, you, do you just see it at so many angles you never yeah. see. Um, so yeah, I think um, reading poetry theologically or using poetry in all the different secular contexts to really bring in these, um, Christian themes, spiritual themes. Um, I would love to try to articulate a way to do that. And um, but yeah, I have a lot of um, ideas at the moment. But yeah, it's sort of a crossroads for sure. Mm. That I'm thinking about. Um, what's the next step on the journey? Mm. <laughs> I feel like like Gabby and River and Eleanor are like excellent poetry. Yes, <laughs> let's go. Okay, here's what I want to do. So Ben, I think we're going to cancel the next song. And in lieu of that, we'll have Caitlin sing. 
But first I want to um, pray for Caitlin, uh, who will, of course, um, continue to be around and, and take her up for coffee and hear more about her story. But let's express our thanks. How beautiful is that? I'm going to pray. If you feel so inclined, if you want to reach out your hand in blessing, you can do that as well. What sacred space we have been in, God. God who is mystery and yet so intimately connected with us that we can just about touch. We give thanks for the sacred space that we have experienced this morning as we have heard the life and faith story of Caitlin. We give thanks for the ways in which you have weaved through her life uh, nourishing in her a sense of wonder and mystery and faith. We give thanks for her father and her church community, for her mentors and the various experiences that have made her who she is today. We give thanks for the ways you have weaved Caitlin into the life of Leichhardt Uniting Church and the great blessing she is already in this community. We give thanks for her roles as chaplain and partner and mother and friend and daughter, and, and lots of different things. We give thanks for the tapestries that uh, we weave together as a community of faith, and this uh, thread that, that it, uh, now weaves in as well. We pray that as we reflect on uh, the nature of God and, and what we have heard today, that we can remember that our stories are always connected and we are never alone. May you bless Caitlin in this crossroads time, uh, with clarity and call and mentoring and, and everything that she might need uh, to really flourish in ministry for the kingdom of God in this time. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. You happy to introduce what you want to see? Um, this is the Magnificat as sung in the chant form, which is sometimes responsive with the congregation. Um, and yeah, it just has meant a lot to me through the years, so I thought I'd sing it for you, you all. Thank you so much for listening and being here today. I really feel surrounded with love. Thank you. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a great day.